Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you heard the words of the gospel lesson. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. You might wonder, is this lesson introducing to us a different Jesus than the one we have conceived in our minds or the one that's popularly conceived? A Jesus who brings war. He does talk of setting father against son and mother against daughter. That sounds divisive. So I want to start by clarifying what the text says, and then we might be able to see what we can take away from this teaching. In the context, Jesus was teaching his disciples, his apostles, and and by extension, the church, us. He was teaching them specifically how to be Christians, what it means to be a Christian, practically speaking, what, what is like to be a Christian. As you saw last week, being a Christian often entails rejection from the world. The apostles were destined for martyrdom, and Jesus, uh, just as Jesus himself suffered death and crucifixion. So they needed to be prepared for what was ahead of them, and Jesus here is preparing them and making them to know, this is what it means to follow me. So Jesus, in our gospel lesson today, Jesus is continuing his teaching. And he's speaking in in sort of exaggerated statements. I mean, when he says, I haven't come to bring peace. Well, of course, Jesus has come to bring peace to the earth. I mean, earlier in this very discourse, Jesus told his disciples as he sent them out, he said, when you come to a house, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. That's sending them out in peace. Think about him healing uh, the woman when Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Go in peace. Of course, uh, we read in, in Luke's gospel about the angels who came and visited the shepherds. Shepherds, And what is it that they announced to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we understand that Jesus cross, Jesus on the cross did bring peace to us. In fact, it's a peace that we say surpasses all understanding. That is the peace that comes to sinners like you and me. Those of us who are dead in sin and yet... In Christ, we've been made alive. We have peace because we've been reconciled to God, our Heavenly Father. So you see that Jesus did come to bring peace, but that's true peace, and that's the peace that he came to bring. In this lesson today, when he says, I did not come to bring peace, or he says, do not think that I came to bring peace, he's talking about a counterfeit peace, He's talking about a peace that's not actually true peace. And he's saying, I didn't come to bring this counterfeit peace. That's the peace that, uh, that you can have with a sinful and fallen world. That's the pretend peace 
that exists with Satan. I mean, the devil will do whatever, whatever he can to make you feel like you're at peace. I know it, it doesn't sometimes seem that way, but, but he does. He, he wants to do whatever he can to make you feel complacent and at peace as you march right on your way to hell. That's the devil's goal. Make you feel totally comfortable in your sin. Then you don't need a savior. That's a counterfeit peace. That's not real peace. Because guess what? There will be a time where you will come face to face with your sin. The true peace is the one that addresses that issue that your real sin will you will really come face to face with. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He doesn't want a son to disrespect his father. That's not what he's saying when he pits father against son and mother against daughter. It's not that Jesus was saying, forget about the Decalogue, forget about the fourth commandment. You don't need to honor your mother and father. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He doesn't wish that there would be division between father and son. He's not looking for that. He doesn't wish that. And he does want you to honor your parents. But he uses this division between family as the ultimate example of a sacrifice that a Christian must be prepared to suffer. Honor your mother and father, of course. But if it should ever come to pass that your father who you are honoring and out of respect for him and love for God demands that you stay home from church, for example, or, or don't follow this, this Christian teaching that you're learning, well, then you must follow God, even if it means division between you and your family. And Jesus is using this as an, exagger- like as an example to say, even, even if it means separation between you and your beloved family, you must choose to follow Christ. Even that such a division there, the only option is to follow Christ. Now, some people look at this statements like this, Jesus saying that he's come to bring a sword, and they, they think of divisiveness and, and how doctrine divides. Have you ever heard that expression? Doctrine divides. That's usually used by people that want to just sort of water down everything in the church and just, you know, let's just have happy, clappy, fun time and uh, maybe feed the poor, do something nice so that we can pat ourselves on the back and be like, oh, we did this great, nice thing. And, and then when you start talking doctrine and it's, oh, doctrine's divisive. We don't need to get into all that minutia. Or as Rick Warren uh, referred to it, uh, secondary issues. That's what he calls it, secondary issues. We don't need to deal with secondary issues. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing. Well, if Jesus said it, it's not a secondary issue. Every word of the Bible is God's word. So we don't treat anything in the Bible as a secondary issue. But as to the statement, doctrine divides, I think that our uh, Christian brother, Pastor Chris Rosebro, said it best. And I'll only paraphrase him because it's not a direct citation, but I've heard him say it. Um, He says, doctrine divides? You bet it does. 
It divides light from dark, right from wrong, truth from error, life from death. Yeah, doctrine does divide. Actually, I think he said, you bet you're a bippy. <laughs> it's like a, uh, there was a show or something where they said that. Smothers Brothers, yeah, that's what it was. You bet you're bippy. <laughs> All right, doctrine is nothing more or less, nothing more or less than teaching and is expressly the command of Jesus. When Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, that's doctrine right there. But he goes on, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Yeah, that's doctrine too. I am with you always. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the, end of the age. That's the doctrine that encourages us, that Christ is present with us as we do this missionary work. But yeah, doctrine is divisive in the way it should be divisive. It divides right from wrong and truth from error and light from darkness and ultimately life from death. And that's what it's all about. It's not about chastising a certain group of people and saying, hey, you sinners, you stay over there. You have no part of us. That's not what it's about. It's about preaching life. But if people don't recognize their own mortal condition, they're not going to receive life. They're not going to accept the, the free gift of God's grace that you hand them unless they understand the peril that they're in. So you might be thinking as a result of all this that doctrine is divisive and that Jesus came to bring a sword. And as Christians, we just need to suck it up and accept that we're going to be hated by the world. That's just how it is. Yeah, we're just we're we're prepared to be hated. But remember that Jesus is preparing the church for missionary work. He's preparing individual believers to retain their faith. Okay, to cling to that faith and retain it in the midst of the suffering that they will receive. Persecution and troubles are going to come their way, and he doesn't want any to fall away from the faith. And he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is saying is that if you try to find a life apart from him, you'll have no life at all. And how many people do this? How often do we do this? Search for life in the places where life is not found. Looking for life in the pleasures of this age. And Jesus is saying, you're not going to find life there. I mean, you might live high on the hog in this present life, but it will come to an end, and where will you be? Now, paradoxically, when you carry your cross... When you pick up the sword and battle the sinful world, you will find that even in the midst of being hated, of being persecuted, of suffering from want or from hunger or thirst, indeed, even to the point of death, you will find that you have life in Christ. And it's not a life that perishes, it's eternal life. Listen, this is, this is to all Christians. 
the world and the devil will say terrible things about you. Hypocrites. You ever heard that? You're hypocrites. You're sinners just like everyone else. They're not perfect. I mean, these insults are true. We don't deny that. You're right. Like Pastor Ben used to say, when people would say the church is full of hypocrites, he'd say, no, it's not full. There's always room for one more. Come on in. Yeah, we're not, we're not sinless. Not apart from Christ. We'll own those sins, confess those sins freely. You can't extort me, blackmail me over these sins. I will readily admit that. We confess those sins to God. We confess them freely. Even the sins that we don't know we've committed, but we confess them nonetheless in our ignorance as we talked about in our Bible study today. But this is the wor- these are the words of the world and the devil who are of no account ultimately. So ignore those words and listen instead to the words of Jesus. In your baptism, you've been washed clean of all your sins. Not my words, Christ's words to you, to each of you. You've been forgiven. You've received. You've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. God, the creator of the universe, takes up residence in this mortal, sinful, wretched being. That's what God does. He comes and makes his home with you. In the word that you hear preached, that we read, God comes to you and he works faith in the word. You receive a faith that trusts in Jesus Christ, that Christ has suffered and died for your sins. All of them. I mean, every sin. In the sacrament that we receive, you receive Christ's true body and true blood for the forgiveness of your sins. You share intimate fellowship with Christ in the sacrament and with one another. This is the medicine of immortality. These are the gifts of word and sacrament that God gives to us for the sake of Jesus Christ. And to summarize it all, Jesus is saying, I am where life is found. This is where life is found, is in Christ. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Be encouraged, Christians. Be encouraged that there are many things hidden and revealed in this present age. But the truths that really matter, the ultimate truth of Christ, we receive by faith through his word, And be strengthened by that. You don't need to fear the scorn of this this age. 
I know it's hostile toward Christians and it's not going to get any better. But you don't need to fear that. And you know, when you're set free, when you receive that gift of freedom, that you're set free from sin, how do we react? Do we need to go around browbeating people and get them to live an ethical, moral life? (laughs) No, that's not what it's really about. But we need to preach to them the same forgiveness of sins that we have received and we share with them. Why are you always so upbeat? Can't you see all the things that are happening in the world around you? Why aren't you wringing your hands? Well, because political leaders will come and go. I mean, I'm not happy about certain things, but you know what? At the end of it all, I turn it over to God and I know that all things are held in his hand. And where is my confidence ultimately? It's in Christ who cannot and will not fail me because in him I have life. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.